0: <laughs> See a microphone automatically adjust it. Um, so, this, this morning we're going to be carrying on our series uh, from 1 Peter, uh, the letter that Peter has written to the scattered church, the infant church, small groups of people around the place trying to figure out what it is to live lives as followers of Christ. And um, so it's a letter of guidance and encouragement, and this morning as we listen to it, maybe we'll hear guidance and encouragement for us too, so let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we spend time in our worship this morning, listening for your voice, speaking to each of our lives, that we might hear you. Give us receptive hearts that by your spirit you may continue your work of transformation that we might leave here closer to being the people that you have called us to be, created us to be. In your precious name we ask. Amen. So uh, uh, a bit of background. So the culture that Peter's writing to... The Christians are in the minority, so the culture around them, uh, well, there might be a bit of ridicule. You know, you said your king was coming. Well, (laughs) where is he? Can't see him anywhere. Um, Ambivalence, you know, well, you're kind of irrelevant, really, aren't you? Um, You know, what, what have you got to say about what's going on in the world? Or even hostility leading to persecution. So that all sounds quite familiar. And the letter's written, as we've been learning over the last couple of weeks, to the sort of the building blocks of the, Roman, the Greco-Roman um, society, which is the household. Slaves, wives and husbands. And as we heard last week, slaves are addressed directly in Peter's letter. And today we see that wives are. To our ears today, we might say, well, why not? But actually wives like slaves in that society were seen pretty much as property. So to be addressed directly in itself was really quite radical. Um, They're called to live as citizens of heaven, as we are. You know, to be in the world, but not of the world. Resident aliens, as one writer has described it. And there's that tension, that fine line that we tread and they trod between uh, living life sort of aware of what's going on in the culture around us but not being swamped by it and just being the same as everybody else but also not sort of standing around saying look how holy I am, I'm so much better than the rest of you that real tension between both and so there is a call in this letter about being transformed from the inside out it's about what goes on in here and how that impacts what goes on out there and of course that starts with us And then the church, we have to learn it together. That's one of the really good reasons for meeting together and worshipping together is we learn from each other and then go out into the world. Now, I must admit, when I did first see what the text was for this sermon this morning, I thought, somebody's having a bit of a laugh about wives and submission to husbands. What's that all about then? But of course, it actually says, wives, submit yourselves. In other words, it's giving authority to these women. In that society, uh, the man of the house was the one that had all the status. And whatever his religion was, it was expected that the household would have the same religion. And Peter's addressing those women who have become Christ followers in a household where their husband has not. And he's saying, well, they've heard the same, your husbands have heard the same words that you've heard. You have responded they haven't. Clearly talking to them about your faith is not going to work. So submit yourselves to them and show them what it is by your lives, by your inner beauty, by the way in which you conduct yourselves, the difference uh, that it makes following, following Jesus. And of course, Peter was this is Peter, and I think it's worth remembering, this is Peter, you know, the, the fisherman, the one who, through the Gospels, we sort of smile wryly at because he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But this is Peter writing this letter, the one who is now living in the way that Jesus always intended him to, as the rock of his church. So I think, again, that that paradox between Uh, the transformation that's happened with Peter's life, we're seeing some of the fruit of here. And I wonder when his wife heard the words of these letters, what she thought. Gosh, you know, this is is my husband, and he's giving me equal status. Jesus, of course, did so much of his teaching in her mum's house, in a little village, a fishing village that nobody knew about, in Capernaum. So... Peter's saying, you know, we need to preach the gospel, we need to use words, but we also need to have that strategy of living lives that speak as well to those around us. The women are told to be gentle and have quiet spirits. That does not mean doormat. In fact, what it does mean here, it's about submission. It's about uh, letting go of control and actually recognizing who is in control, about li- leaving uh, about leading Jesus-centered lives. And their example is what's going to make the difference here. Another thing to mention, that bit where it talks about Sarah calling her husband master or lord. Actually, that was more a term of endearment than of domination. It was about my dear husband... We sometimes need to look behind the text as well as in front of it, bringing our own uh, prejudices and expectations. And this whole thing about external adornment, we're not talking about Peter saying, uh, you need to go around looking really scruffy, uh, not take uh, any notice of your appearance. In that culture, women, it was about how you looked. It was about extravagant and elaborate hairstyles that would take hours to put together and clothes that were covered in jewels. Because women were not worth anything through what they said or how they lived. It was all about how they looked. And that, of course, reflected well on their husband. But it is about our attitude. So, have a think. This morning, you might be delighted to know that I spent more time praying than putting makeup on. You might think I should have spent a bit more time doing the other. But I'm no different in getting ready to do what I'm called to do than any of you. Often we have not, I haven't got time to do this, that and the other. It's about our hearts, it's about our attitudes. If we're spending more time looking after our external appearances and not enough on developing our inner character, then there's a question there that needs to be asked and this letter is asking it. So Peter is saying, women, you have, along with slaves, equal status before God with men. There is no other in between. There is God, the creator, and creation and his creatures. There's nothing in between. We are all the same. We are all equal. And of course, with that equality comes responsibility. So Peter saying to these women, your lives are part of what's needed to communicate the gospel. God needs you. God has noticed you. And if you live godly lives, then you will make an impact beyond what people see. I sometimes wonder whether actually we've come very much further forward. Only a hundred years ago, women were dying so that we can vote. In my lifetime, my mom, in the culture that we grew up in, stopped work when she got married, paid work outside the home. It wasn't something that you even considered. It was just you got married, you stopped working. She went back to work uh, when I was about eight years old. When Danny was ordained almost 19 years ago, that was only four years after the first woman had been ordained to the priesthood. So when we were married... The journey I'm on wasn't an option. And even today, we look at our politicians, we look at our public figures, and what do we do? We comment on their external appearance, even their fashion sense, as if that has got anything to do with the responsibilities that these women and men have been given. We all have lots of excuses that we can use to not step into what God has called us to, to not go deeper. haven't got enough time. When I retire, when I'm married, um, when my business is successful, I've got children, I haven't got children. So many different things, barriers that we put in the way of the re- stepping into the responsibility that our God-given equality as co-heirs in Christ Has been entrusted to us. And then there's husbands. So uh, there's a calling here to self sacrificial love. Peter is saying, Wake up, men, look around you. You're not noticing who you are with, but God has noticed. God sees the women, God sees the slaves. Notice them. You are physically stronger. And when he talks about the weaker partner, he's really just acknowledging that fact of biology that, generally speaking, men are physically stronger. But there is also that sense in which, in that society, the men had the power, the influence, the voice. And so he's saying, take note. What are you doing to protect, to nurture, to enable the weaker partner to flourish? Now, I don't think it takes much of a step to move into a bigger picture than marriage and to say, as the stronger partner, who are the weaker partners in our communities, in our world today that we disregard, that we don't notice, that we don't listen to? The refugee, the homeless, the child living in poverty, those struggling with mental illness or other physical uh, concerns, the elderly and alone, Now, we can't individually meet the needs of all of those people and even listen to all of those people. But we are called to listen to who uh, the weaker people are in that sense in our society, that we have the responsibility to see their lives flourish. And why? So that we might also flourish. Blessed to be a blessing so Peter gives us some tips, and we're going to go through those, about how we build community for the common good. First of all, we're called to be he says, like-minded, agreeable, united, united in worship of one God, recognizing that we are one body. Imagine the impact if this church, let alone the national church or the global church, we're united with one voice to speak for the vulnerable. Imagine the impact, for example, on things like climate change. If we took seriously the responsibilities we have in our day-to-day lives, recognising the choices we make impact some of the poorest communities in the world where climate change is a reality. More than just about slightly unseasonal weather, weather that we perhaps have. Thy kingdom come, which we're going to hear about in the notices, but as which is a church we're participating in in the next uh, couple of weeks. It's about that. It's about coming together as one church, united together, one voice, praying, believing in the power of prayer for transformation. So like-minded and agreeable. We're also called to be sympathetic. That's an emotional engagement with the world around us. So when people weep, we weep with them. When they rejoice, we rejoice. And not just for ourselves and the people like us, but others too. We're called to love one another. And that starts in the church, which is challenge enough. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know what sibling love can be like. Not always easy, but if we can't learn together in the church how to disagree graciously, how to love one another, then what hope is there for the world out there? We're called to be compassionate. That's who God is. Compassion is to, uh, we say, our hearts went out to them. God sent his son out of compassion for us. We suffer with those who suffer. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been listening to um, Jeremy Bowen's podcast. He's doing a series of talks at the moment, reflecting on his 25 years as a BBC correspondent in the Middle East. I've been listening to a couple of them, and I was sort of stopped in my tracks, really. I couldn't go any further, because he's uh, recounting a story of coming across people who, you know, were... um, Everything had been lost and destroyed around them. And this one woman's voice just shouted out, Why are you doing this? I'm human too. All of us are equal. And then humility. We're called to be humble. Jesus, the ultimate example of humility. God, emptying himself to become vulnerable, to become with us, man, with us. We need to know our place as creatures together, part of that creation, but also as co-heirs with Christ, with a hope of eternal life, but of the kingdom now too, all because of what Jesus has done for us. And finally, we are not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Perhaps this is one of the ways in which the world around us will will look at us and see how we react when things go tough, when we are wronged. In that moment, who is in control? The person who has wronged us, the situation we find ourselves in, or God? Because if we really truly believe that God is in control, if, as Danny was saying last week, we have submitted to God, then we have trusted in him we have given him the trust to know that he is in control and in that moment we can then carry out what we have been called to do which is to bless not to retaliate which is what the world does you wrong me I'll get you back no now that doesn't mean that's just for one or two of us Finally, this is all of us. He's addressing the whole community. Peter has looked beyond the wives, the husbands, the slaves. All of us are called to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate, humble, not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult because to this you were called. You, me, all of us. And the promise is that if we do that, if we hold the love of Jesus in our hearts, if we say he is Lord in all situations, if we say God is good all the time, and that all the time God is good, then there will be those moments when we have those good days, when we see good things happening. We see the kingdom of God breaking into our lives here and now. Or actually, to be corrected by Rowan Williams, no less. Let's not say God breaking in, assuming that God is somewhere outside of us, but actually that he's breaking through. God is here already, not out there trying to get in. Good tip. And it's not just about our actions. So it is about how we uh, live our lives. People will notice that, but it's about what we say as well, because what comes out of our mouths reflects what's in our hearts. So... You know, Peter's saying to the husbands, don't come and give me all your holy prayers and your holy words and say how wonderful you are and then go and beat your wife to submission because you can. And, you know, use that as a metaphor for whatever way we want to beat people down as a stronger partner. We all spot fake people. Let's try really hard. And, boy, it's really hard standing here and saying that. and always to give a reason for the hope that we have. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he's, he's attributed with a quote which says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Well, it is necessary to use words, I would argue. We do need to explain, we do need to articulate, we do need to tell people why we are the way we are, why we make the decisions we make, why we think the way we think. We need to give a reason. And the reason is love. And of course, we didn't come up with idea, that idea. That was what God started. God started it. He is the motivation for whatever it is we're doing tomorrow morning. You know, we talk about calling and people immediately think that means something else other than what I'm doing now. And often I think it just means God saying, no, I want you to go deeper with me in what you are doing now. I'm not saying he doesn't call us to change directions sometimes, but I think all of it is part of us, just becoming the people that he has called us to be. So tomorrow morning, whether you're uh, leading a school, teaching a class, doing a business deal, commuting to London or further afield, whether you're sitting with an elderly neighbour at a hospital bedside, whether you're doing the washing, cleaning, feeding for the umpteenth time in the day, all of it we can do as an act of worship and saying that we want to make a difference, that we recognize who we are, that we recognize the calling on our lives, the prodigal father that noticed us before we noticed him. Who are the people, the weaker partners, if you like, in our path, who we will come into contact with, which God is saying, come on, be that person that enables that person to flourish. How will we encourage each other? Are we going to encourage each other with words about how you know great you're looking? I mean it's quite nice, don't get me wrong, like a compliment now and again. Or are we going to encourage each other by noticing the things and the ways in which we're growing into the family likeness, the likeness of Jesus Christ. Thankfully, it's not a task we do alone. We come together as the church, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I think what we'll do is if you would stand with me. And we're just gonna have a, a, a moment of quiet. A time to ask God, what is the what is the call to go deeper in my life? become Holy Spirit. going to invite the band to come up and we're going to sing uh, there must be more than this and um, take this song as a continued response time to continue to talk to God and uh, if you want someone to pray with you then you know pretty much around the room you could tap on anybody's shoulder I think Um, but do that or even just say this is the thing this is the call this is the This is what I think God's saying. Will you pray with me? Amen.